got my mic, got my doofer, got the instructions from the sound team, which was, don't touch the buttons. So I'll try and, uh, try and uh, obey that. Well, thank you very much uh, for having us here this evening. And uh, it was great to get to sing some of those songs. Ministering in the free church just now, that wasn't always the case. We were uh, in the Pentecostal church before then, so it was great to sing some of these songs again. It was great to let out a wee clap again as well. So uh, we've moved on a bit in the free church. We sing hymns, even a few choruses in there. I've not quite evolved to clapping, so that was good. Just please don't tell my cut session. I've put any YouTube videos uh, up on social media. Let's say... Uh, I'm going to read the scriptures. If you've got a Bible with you, if you can turn to Matthew chapter 15 and verse uh, 21. I'll read the scriptures and then we'll pray again and then we'll, we'll get into the message. So Matthew chapter 15 and verse 21, and we'll read through to verses 31. I'm reading from the, the ESV, but I'm going to be preaching. I prepared my message from the NIV, so hopefully that's, that's all right. So verse 21, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy, O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was instantly healed. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee and went up on the mountainside and sat down there. And great crowds uh, came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered, and when they saw the mute speaking, and the crippled healthy, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing, they glorified the God of Israel. And the Lord add his blessing to the reading of Scripture. Let's come before him and, and pray. Our Father, we give you thanks and praise for this evening. And we thank you that we've been in your presence. We are in your presence. We've been singing the words that it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. The Lord says, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Lord, this evening I ask and pray for your help, that you would help me by the Holy Spirit to lift up Jesus. That Jesus would be magnified that he would be glorified in our midst. And we ask and pray that as he is lifted up, that we would be, our gaze would be transfixed in him, that we would be captured by his glory, that our hearts would be enlarged. And as the woman uh, with the issue of blood pushed through the crowds, saying, if I can only touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. And healing virtue flowed from Christ to her. Lord, we would ask and pray that as we look to you this evening, that the presence of Christ would flow to each and every one of us, that we would have a sense that Christ is risen from the dead, that Jesus is exalted, 
that he is on the throne. Lord, we do pray for the anointing which comes from the Holy Spirit. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When, when Ross first asked me to come and speak here about a month ago, you're kind of thinking on the spot, and I heard it was a communion service, and I thought I'll preach on the passage that you quoted a moment ago, uh, that, you know, we've become the righteousness of God in Him, which is an absolutely amazing and powerful verse, but just the last few weeks, I've just been thinking of bringing this, this other message to you, and that is about the feet of Jesus. And it's very much a message that we've been preaching on these kind of themes in Dumblain Free Church. It's quite funny the naivety when you first turn up in a, probably not the case with Ross, Ross is probably a lot more mature than me, but when you first turn up at a church to do ministry, you think, right, okay, so I thought, book of Acts, we're going to start with the book of Acts, we're going to emphasize the power of God, we're going to talk about local mission, and revival is going to happen in about six months, and you're a few months into preaching the book of Acts about, you know, standing up for Jesus, you're looking at, you know, Stephen being martyred and persecuted, and then, and then all of a sudden, pastorally, you begin to realize that, you know, you've got half your congregation dying, others are, you know, being sick, and, you know, and there's folk are no well, folk are in this storm, this person's encountering in this trial. I'm thinking, man, this isn't very pastoral. I think I need to change direction a wee bit here. I think we're in a, we're in a different season. So really, for the last four or five weeks, we've just been sitting at the feet of Jesus. We've been thinking about that, that, that story where, Mar where there's Mary and Martha. And Martha's just so frantic with her service. She's so frantic uh, in her, the things that she's doing. And, and there you've got her sister Mary, just at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus commended her sister. But that phrase, the feet of Jesus, you know, it's interesting. There's just seasons in our life. You know, there's seasons in our life when there's time for a harvest. There's time you know, when people are coming to the Lord as a local church, there's times when the church is growing, there's times when it's a season for vision, but there's just also times where we just, we just seem to hit the wars, and it just seems like one storm can batter us after another. This is true for local churches, it's true in our individual lives, sometimes we can just feel as if we're in a battle, and the problem is, is sometimes when we're in constant battles, we can end up battle-weary, it's just sometimes as if the pressure's not quite lifting. And in these kind of situations, it's so important that we just come to the feet of Jesus. So my prayer tonight is that we come to the feet of Jesus. It's amazing how many times that phrase is used, the feet of Jesus. We see it, for example, at here, uh, where it says in verse 22 of Mark 5, then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. So you've got a synagogue leader, this powerful figure, this influential and prosperous man falling at the feet of Jesus. We've got another situation where there's a woman who interrupted Jairus' daughter being healed, and she's trying to touch the hem of his garment, and it says, and the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And then again, in, in Mark chapter 7, it says, As soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. Luke chapter 8, we see more again, where it says, um, When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. This is a guy who's demon-possessed. He's 
in torment, absolute mental anguish. He comes and falls at the feet of Jesus, begging for relief. Again, we've got the, the situation here, and it says in Luke 8, and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man whom the demons had gone out, sitting at the feet of Jesus, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. So Jesus sets them free, and after his deliverance, where is he? He's at the feet of Jesus. And again, further, there's the ten lepers that Jesus uh, heals, and, and one of them comes back, and it says he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Another situation is we have, just going to outline some of these, Mary took a pint of pure nard, expensive perfume, she poured it in Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. At the house, was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And then finally, at the resurrection morning, suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said, and they came to him to clasp his feet, and they worshipped him. And I think these passages show us something of who Jesus is. When, when people come and fall at the feet of someone, it generally tends to be someone of tremendous importance. This is the kind of respect that you pay towards someone who's perhaps royalty or that kind of thing. So we're not only, we don't only see something, and remember the, in the gospel narratives, the people are not really clear about who Jesus is. There's a kind of bigger picture that's been slowly revealed but there's all these little hints about who he is when you've got these people coming and falling at his feet. But we also see not, not only who he is, but also how we're to approach him. If you look at all these examples, you see people coming to Jesus and falling at his feet, and really they're just coming in humility. They're taking that lowly place and recognizing that he's the exalted one. When they come to the feet of Jesus, they're coming in reverence, they're also coming with expectation. They're expecting Christ to do something for them. My daughter's desperately sick. The guy who was the leper who came back, he comes and falls at the feet of Jesus, and it's the place of adoration and thanksgiving. And the feet of Jesus is also the place where we see the manifest power of Christ. People come to the feet of Jesus with a desperate need. And the power of Christ is manifest. Those that are oppressed by demonic spirits are set free, and the sick are healed. In this evening's text, we see it in particular, if we can just perhaps cast our eye over it again, in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 29. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee, and then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Verse 30. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. What I would just like to do for some time this evening is to consider what it is that happens at the feet of Jesus. Now, obviously, our text is dealing with a, a physical Jesus, a Jesus who walked the earth, real people, real time, and real space. But for us, we come this evening to Jesus in a different way. We come to the Christ who is exalted and seated at the right hand of God the Father. And in a sense, we come to him in a spiritual sense. These people were with the, the word who had become flesh, 
the physical Jesus. We come in a spiritual sense. However, what I would say tonight is how people approach the physical Jesus whilst he was on earth has got a lot to teach you and I about how we should approach the risen and exalted Christ in heaven. And we see that, Ross read from Revelation tonight, when John was caught up in that revelation, when he sees the vision of Jesus Christ, John says, I fell at his feet as though dead. And as the Church of Christ in the 21st century, we still come and fall at his feet. The first thing I'd like us to think about this evening is the feet of Jesus is the place of desperation. Let's just read verse 30. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they laid them at his feet, and he healed them. Picture the scene here. They're bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, all these people, and he heals them. I mean, this isn't like the 21st century NHS. It's not like the UK situation where if you've got, you know, sickness, you can go and get perhaps incapacity benefit or something like that. This is first century Palestine. If you didn't have an inheritance, if you didn't have family that could look after you, there was no financial support, you had to beg for a living or something else. These folk are absolutely and utterly desperate. And there is something about desperate circumstances that have got the potential to drive us to the feet of Jesus. And sometimes in their own lives, it does feel as if the pressure can be unceasing. The pressure's mounting. It can seem as if circumstances never let up. The conflicts just continue to increase. And in these situations, we can find ourselves asking God, why? God, why is this happening? Professor Donald McLeod, in his tribute to the late E.D. Campbell, he put it this way, he says, it's when our prayers are turned into protests. And I'm sure we're all aware of circumstances where that's happened. And protests have their place. Why, God? The Psalms are full of protests. Why is it happening, Lord? Lord, how long will this situation go on? But I think what we see in the Psalms and we see in Scripture, that whilst protests have their place, we don't pitch our tents at protests, but we push through in prayer, but also even in praise. He lost his children, he lost his wealth, he lost pretty much everything. And Job says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In difficult circumstances and pressures can be transformed from a foe into a friend if we allow them to lead us to the feet of Jesus. The hymn says, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Just a kind of side note as well about desperation. Sometimes about desperation, it's not just a kind of natural circumstance. There can be a danger in that sometimes in thinking that it's only when the circumstances are terrible that there's a desperation and it's in that place that we can then push through to Christ. But we can experience desperation in a spiritual sense. And I think there's a very real sense in which 
in Scotland, that's what we need. We need the, the spiritual desperation. The psalmist says, my heart and my soul longs for you in a dry and a weary land. But what can happen is if the Holy Spirit opens up our eyes to let us see the desperate state of our spiritual condition, that in itself can awaken a desperation within us and we can cry out to him for a fresh renewal. But we also see the feet of Jesus as the place of hope. Verse 30, great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet. Why are they bringing all these people to Jesus? Naturally speaking, these people are a hopeless case. But not only that, why are they bringing so many people to Jesus? Can they not see that the, the nature of the problem and the scope of the problem is so serious? The blind, the lame, the mute. Yet the very fact that they're bringing these people to Jesus is evidence of their hope. It's a sign of their faith. They actually believe Jesus can do something about this circumstance. And when you and I take our problems to the feet of Jesus, we're coming with hope, we're coming with expectation and faith. And what we're ultimately saying is, God, I believe you can do something here. God, I believe you can move in this situation. We're coming in humility, we're admitting our weakness, and we're acknowledging His unlimited resources. Hebrews 11 and verse 6 says, And without faith it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. There's a reward for those who earnestly seek the Lord. We also see that the feet of Jesus is a place of healing. It's not only the place of healing, it's the place of healing and transformation. It's a place of miracles. There's three things that I would just kind of say about this is there can be a, a misapplication of this principle or of this truth. The misapplication of the principle is well, they brought the sick and the lame and the blind and the mute to Jesus, and Jesus healed them. Isaiah 53 says, by his stripes we are healed, therefore that's it, it settles that we're healed. And the misapplication can be that Jesus healed everyone that he encountered in the New Testament, and if we just come to Jesus today, Jesus will heal us. Whatever physical situation ails us, Jesus will heal us. It's guaranteed in the atonement. That's a misapplication, and it is so widespread, many people believe it. The God TV, if we turn it on, 99.9% .9 of it will be teaching that kind of thing. Christian bookstores, the books will be teaching that kind of thing. But it's not what Scripture teaches. And it's not what 2,000 years of church history has shown us. But there can also be another kind of misapplication. Another kind of misapplication doesn't expect God to do anything. It was just the only time that God moved in power was back then when Jesus was on the earth. And there's no expectation that God will do anything in our lives or the lives of others. And in my view, this is just simply Christianized atheism. We've just not became honest enough to really admit that we're atheists. Or it's a Christianized deism. It's a God who's out there, who's all-powerful, who's transcendent, but he's not moved with our circumstances or our pain or our suffering. I see that we're invited to pray in a particular way in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power 
that's at work within us. He is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. That tells me that my prayers are too small. My prayers are too small because my vision of God and what God can do is too small. But the third thing I think we need to say about this being the place of healing and transformation is that we need to keep in mind the purpose of the earthly miracles of Jesus Christ. The miracles were signs. They were signs that point to a deeper reality. They help us understand, again, who he is and what he came to do. So who does it tell us that he is? Who else can open the eyes of the blind but the one who formed the eyes? Who else can cause the cripple to walk other than the one who formed the man from the dust in the earth? Who else can give speech to the mute other than the one who spoke the world into existence? The signs point to the divinity of Jesus Christ. He's fully human, but he's also God the Son. John tells us the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. But they not only reveal who he is, but they've also come to point why he has come. Did Jesus just simply come to, to show us the right way to live? Did Jesus just come with a, a message of morality, or love God and love neighbor? Did he just come to feel, heal us of our physical afflictions? If that's all Jesus came to do in the 33 years that he was here, then we're still without hope this evening. Because wrong living immorality or illness are just simply symptoms of the problem. They're fruits of the fall. Jesus didn't just come to deal with bad fruit. He came to deal with the roots. Who is it that Jesus heals in this passage? The blind, the lame, the crippled, the mute. I think what we're supposed to see here is a picture of the human condition, the state of where we're at. You see, we were made to behold the glory of God, but we've become blinded by sin. We're blind to God. We're blind by nature to the purpose of God for our life. We're blind by nature to his love. And the miracle that's needed for all of us is for our eyes to be opened. 2 Corinthians 2 and 4 says, uh, speaking about those who reject the gospel, in their case, the God, small g, of this world, it's talking about the devil, God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And this is what the new birth is. Jesus spoke about the need to be born again. And the new birth is the opening up of our eyes to see the glory of God. You know, prior to this happening in my own life, I was absolutely blind to the glory of Jesus. Jesus, who cares? God, who really cares? There's more exciting things than that. But when the Holy Spirit opened my eyes ever so lightly. There was a time when, when God walked with Adam and Eve. People were created. We were created to walk with God. And Adam would walk with God in the cool of the day. And at the fall where Adam and Eve sinned, it wasn't just the serpent that lost his ability to walk. It was people who lost their ability to walk with God. 
Spiritually speaking, you and I are crippled by sin. And the feet of Jesus is the place of restoration. It's the place of renewal. When we encounter Jesus, we rise from the feet of Jesus with a renewed and closer walk with God. And also, we were, we were created in order that we might praise God, that we might give Him praise and glory. But because of the fall, because of the fall in Adam and Eve, our tongues are bound. Romans 1, Paul talks about the decline of the fall and how things go from rejecting of God to immorality and a downward spiral. And one of the things Paul says is, for although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God or gave thanks to Him. In other words, one of the things that the fall robbed was God's praise, God's worship. And when we come to the feet of Jesus, and when we encounter the presence of Jesus, one of the first things that happens is He loosens our tongue. When we're born again, He looses our tongue that we confess that He is Lord, and we believe in our hearts that God raised them from the dead. That's why the Bible says, no one can say Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Spirit. The psalmist says, I cried out to Him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. And just finally, we see as well that the feet of Jesus is the source of impact. Verse 31, the people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. John Piper says, um, I'm sure it's okay to quote John Piper here because Ross kept giving me his books when I was at college. I never realized what he was doing at the time. He was trying to convert me to Calvinism. So, uh, so I'm sure it's all right to quote this. I actually went out and bought John Calvin's book in, uh, and I read the bit on salvation, but also read the bit about baptism in church government as well. But thanks, Ross. It's his fault that I'm uh, in the free church. But John Piper says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and countless millions of the redeemed fall in their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It's a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking, if our, if our mission is not the result of spending time at the feet of Jesus, we'll really never be able to bring other people to the feet of Jesus either. We might be able to bring people to a church event. We can maybe get them to come and sit in a pew, but we can never lead them to where we ourselves have not been. And I think we see that principle throughout the Bible. In Psalm 40, it says, He lifted me out of the miry clay. He heard my cry. He set my feet upon a rock. He put a new song in my mouth. But then it says, And many shall see in fear. Many shall see and fear what God had done in the psalmist's life because of what God had done in his life. We also see it, uh, for example, um, in a few other kind of places in Scripture where the Holy Spirit is just moving. Let me just get this quote here. Psalm 51. It's only after David repents and gets right with the Lord and he receives a fresh cleansing from sin and he's praying to the Lord and he's saying, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Lord, renew a right spirit within me. Lord, don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. So he's repenting. He's, he's coming back to Christ. And then he says, and then I will teach transgressors your way. And then 
sinners will turn back to you. And that seems to say to me that the key to reaching people in Scotland, the key to seeing people saved, is not primarily strategies or techniques or programs, but it's when we get our hearts right with the Lord. We also see it, for example, when the early church was doing mission in the book of Acts, and the critics were saying, we can see that these men have been with Jesus. They saw that they had been with Christ. Duncan Campbell says in his foreword to Arthur Wallace's book, we may have succeeded in making people church conscious, mission conscious, or even crusade conscious without making them God conscious. That can only happen when we come to the feet of Jesus. It's at the feet of Jesus where we become God conscious. And when our God consciousness then affects other people. But just in finishing a few thoughts, the whole image of falling at Jesus' feet, and again Ross read from Revelation, is very much the image of the king. And falling at the feet of the king, and even Jesus healing sickness, and restoring people's lives, it's all the language and the imagery of authority. It's the language of a, a reigning and ruling king. However, one of the things that we need to realize is the whole idea of the healing that flows from Christ is not just about his kingly authority. When we come to the feet of Jesus, we're also coming to nail-pierced feet. It's the feet of a savior. See from his head, his hands, and his feet. Sorrow and love flow mingled down. You see, the place of the feet of Jesus is a place of healing and restoration in our walk with Christ because it's the, the place of redemption where he was nailed to the cross for our sins. And I was saying in Dumblain this morning that forgiveness of sins and justification is not the goal of the cross, but the goal of the cross is communion and fellowship and relationship with the Father and with the Son and with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your words and we ask and pray that it would be more than words to our hearts and our souls and our minds. Our Lord, we would ask and pray that as we come to the table, Lord, that we would just have that sense of coming to the feet of Christ, that you would meet every need, that you would restore our souls, and that we would have that touch from the King. Lord, we give you thanks and praise and glory for the work that you've done in our life and the work that you're doing through us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.